So Christmas is coming in just a few short weeks. Even if you're in denial, it's happening, okay? It's actually happening. Um, And this year, it may feel like the same old routine for you. Um, You and your sister might exchange the same gift back and forth. When I was little, my brother used to wrap up things from my room and put them under the tree. (laughs) And I would open them and be like, I've been looking for this for three weeks. (laughs) And we used to do that. Maybe you are going to cook the same meal, that you bring the same thing to dinner every single year. Um, That crazy relative, we all have one, is already planning their dramatic scene for the day, I'm sure. (laughs) One of you is that, you're wooing, that's funny. Um, It's funny, I think the mark of being an adult is when the present you look forward to is money to pay your electric bill. <laughs> I just really hope I can get money to pay my car insurance. You know, Somehow that's exciting. At our house, um, I put items in the Amazon cart that I want, and Joel clicks buy. That's how like, magical. <laughs> we work it out. I get what I want. He gets to buy it. So that's kind of the deal. Um, the excitement might feel a little less. You know, In my house, I still have little kids, so It's a lot of fun, but I know many of you don't have those little kids in your house anymore, and so perhaps it just feels a little bit mundane, a little different. Uh, Christmas should feel a little more exciting um, than it does. Some of you maybe have some pain attached to Christmas. Um, Perhaps this year there'll be an empty seat, or the loss of someone you love, or maybe you're grieving that empty seat, but it's been there for a long time. But this year, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I really believe that Christmas can be different. And I want to challenge you to not forget the extraordinary significance it has on the faith that we live out, not just this time of year, but every day. Every boring day that we live out our faith for the rest of the year centers around Christmas. Our Christmas series is titled one word, it's called Unequal. And you started it last week. But the idea is that the Son of God, born of a virgin in a manger, announced by angels, lived a sinless life and offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice to rescue humankind from the death grip of sin. He was raised to life on the third day and he is unequal to any other name or any other person in history. And we sing that song, that worship song, so often. It's on repeat at my house. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Say it with me if you know the lyrics. You have no rival. You have no equal. You're the name above all names. And when we remember who this baby in the manger really is, Christmas just can't go on as usual. If we can really remember what is happening in this moment. So I just returned, many of you know, um, from a trip to Israel. Uh, About five of us from Erie First uh, took a two-week Holy Land tour. And I learned so much. And and that that really will um, reflect in the months to come as I will never, ever read the scriptures the same. As I walked and stood in places that the scriptures were talking about. And there were a lot of things that were different there than I expected. A lot of things that I imagined in my mind would be. Uh, One of them is how tasty this strange food called falafel could be. It was delicious. It looked very strange, but I did try it. Cheryl forced me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, the other thing is how, how true jet lag is. And many of you have traveled overseas. I still am waking up at 3 in the morning thinking it's like, you know, morning time. And so that really has taken a while to get over. But I think particularly 
When I thought I was going to travel to the Holy Land around Christmas, and maybe many of you think this, I expected some marvelous tributes to Jesus. I mean, this is his hometown. This is Jesus. This is where Christmas is born. This is where Christmas came from. This is his debut. In America, when it, we want to honor somebody's hometown, we do parades and lights and specialty hot dogs and Justin Bieber. You know, we pull it all out because this is their hometown. We want to honor them. We put statues up. We say that this is what's happening here. But the reality is I was there for two weeks and I saw maybe two Christmas trees the entire time we were there. In fact, there was no excitement that Christmas was coming. There was no general sense that it's the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, most of the time, it was business as usual everywhere we walked. And if you've been following the news, um, at this moment, there are riots in Bethlehem right outside of where Jesus was physically born because of Trump's decision uh, to make Jerusalem, to declare Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Right where I stood last week is that's what's happening right there. And this is because the majority of the population of Israel, in fact, 98% don't believe that Christ was Savior. And so to them, there was nothing to celebrate. There was nothing to honor because this was just not something that they bought into. And that just compelled me so much. It challenged me. And it challenges us to make sure that we are celebrating in the truth that we declare. That we're giving enough attention to Christmas in the right places. And we are declaring, Jesus, you have no rival. You have no equal. You are the name above all names. We have the opportunity to declare what we believe about Christ as Savior. 700 years in advance, Isaiah prophesied who the Son of God will be. And we read this scripture a lot today even. And he foretells the birth of Jesus. And you can look on the screen there. He writes, Isaiah 9:6, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so during this Advent season, we're going to be looking at these names of Jesus that Isaiah declared as a prophet. And, and I almost picture it like a, like a multifaceted diamond. We're going to look at this one verse at a lot of different angles so that we can see and understand and have a new appreciation for Jesus, the baby in the manger, the Savior of the world. Jesus isn't just wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace at Christmas or in December. He, he is these things all year round. This is the God we serve every day of our faith journey. And so I know last week uh, we, uh, you guys considered a wonderful counselor and you talked about how he would show us uh, the father. He would lead us to the truth about ourselves and about life. And this week we're going to talk about mighty God. Okay, so the Hebrew word for God in this title is simply the word El, E-L, okay? And this denotes a mighty power that can only be found in a deity. That's what that means. And when we understand the word for God means mighty power, then we can actually see that the title really means mighty, mighty deity. It means uh, Jesus is set apart from all other powers. When we are calling him mighty God, we're saying that he is above any other deity, any other spirit being, 
in the past or in the future, that his power is seen as far superior to anyone else, that he is the best, that he is the greatest, that he is the name above all names, that he and will be the mightiest of God forever declared by humankind. Even if someone comes up with another God in the future, he will be mightier than that. Mighty God. And I want to just look specifically today on some of the evidences that we see in the scripture of describing Jesus' power and describing his might in the scripture. So first I want to start in John 1.3. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Pretty straightforward. He is mighty and responsible for everything. Colossians 1.16-17 has a similar claim. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The author wants to be so specific to say everything. Have I covered it all? Uh, Heaven, earth, thrones, powers, visible, invisible, anything created, all of it. It was all created and all held together and sustained by him. And these verses tell us that Jesus has the power over all of creation. That Jesus was the one who created our world, and he is the creator and the sustainer of all of creation. So everything that we see, everything that lives, everything that has breath, every mountain, every valley, every lake, every star, every moon, every ocean, every tree, was all created and is now sustained by the mighty God. And then we look in 1 Peter 3. And it says, we read in verse 22, that uh, Jesus has gone into the heavens and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And the scripture reminds us that Jesus not just has authority and power over everything that we see and everything that we can touch and everything that's created, but he has power and authority over everything in the spiritual realm too. That he doesn't just, uh, just have authority over earth. He has authority over everything in the heavenly realm. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has supreme authority. He has all authority. He was very clear with that in the scripture as he talks about everything that's seen and everything that's unseen. There's nothing that gets past the mighty God. There are no loopholes There is no place to hide from him. There is nothing that surprises him. There is nothing that happens that he is unaware of. He is ever present in every moment of the past, of the present, and of the future. And I've thought about how would that change our faith if we lived in the reality of that? If we were truly convinced that all authority in heaven and on earth belonged to him, what would that do to our prayers? What would that do to our faith? I want you to think of a life situation right now that you have. Something maybe that's tumultuous that you can't figure out how to fix it. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a health need. Maybe it's a a heartache that you have. Maybe it's just something technical at work that you just can't figure out that is bothering you. I want you to think of all those things. Jesus has authority over all of that. He knew all of it, he created all of it, and he has authority over all of it. There's a man in the scripture that has a really healthy understanding of a mighty, mighty God, and his story is accounted for in Matthew 8. 
And it goes like this. A centurion came to Jesus and he said, listen, my servant is home. He's paralyzed. He's really sick. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus replies and says, do you want me to come there? Shall I come? Shall I come and heal him? And the centurion who understands the chain of authority in the military says, no, you don't have to come. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say it. Just stand there and say it because you have all authority over everything. You don't have to come. You can just say it. This man understood and lived with a very clear understanding and faith in a mighty God. In fact, in the scripture, we may not find any better example of a person who has the understanding of mighty God. And in Matthew 8, 13, I want to read to you the conclusion. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. There is no rival. There is no equal to the power and to the name of Jesus. And when we live in that reality, I think it can change everything about how we walk out our everyday life. It can change the way we pray. It can change the way we stress. It can change the way that we worry. I almost imagine it in my mind like a box turned upside down. And I'm constantly trying to just shove everything of my life underneath the box and like trap it under God's authority. <laughs> just in my own mind. Obviously, it's all there anyway. But it's just saying, okay, this thing that's sneaking out that I'm beginning to think I have to worry about and I have to deal with, I just want to get it back in there. Sit on the box. You know, do whatever you got to do to remember that yourself, that all authority belongs to God, that he's got it all in his eye. He, he sees it all. And for us to live in that faith like that, so that's just one way, that's just one evidence of Jesus' mightiest, he's the mighty God, that, that's, um, he's the most powerful. There are five other things I found in the scripture I want to share with you, evidences that I believe show that he is the mighty God. First, uh, the evidence is in his teaching. It's in his teaching. If you remember, we were told that the crowds that heard Jesus were very attentive. Um, and it says, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. That's in Matthew 7, 29. The people never heard anyone like Jesus before. He seemed to know their hearts. He, he spoke as if he had a direct pipeline from God. He knew their hearts. He knew what they needed and he spoke with authority. There was no production he didn't manipulate their emotions. He didn't, he, he didn't come up with something super catchy or exciting. That's not what made him a great teacher. When Jesus spoke, people listened, and they felt God's spirit burn within him. All authority came out of his mouth. Jesus wasn't even about drawing a crowd or creating hype. In fact, Jesus often dispersed the crowds. He said, get out of here. I don't want the fame. I don't want the attention. I heard this quote once, and it really stuck with me. Hype is what you have when people are watching. Hope is what you have when they are not. Hype is what you have when people are watching, but hope is what you have when they are not. Secondly, an evidence of Christ's authority is the miracles of Jesus that testify to his power and authority. They testify that he was God. We read, blind men receive their sight, crippled people walk, dead people come back to life, 
Demon-possessed people were set free. Diseased people were made well. And Jesus was unique in this power. No other religious leader exercised this kind of dramatic power. In Matthew 8, 26 through 27, we read about Jesus standing on a, in a boat on a lake. And there's a storm. And he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Time and time again, Jesus is testified to this uniqueness. It was interesting in the scripture, this one point, John the Baptist, who, who was a, a big supporter of Jesus, was teaching him things, uh, was, was you know, part of his ministry. John the Baptist was thrown in prison. And in prison, he begins to wonder if Jesus is really the Messiah. If Jesus is, is really the one who's going to save people from their sins. And so he sends messengers to Jesus and asks, are you the one who has come or should we expect someone else? He, 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 is, he is wondering, is he the Messiah or should they expect someone else? And this is what Jesus replies in Matthew eleven two through 6. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He's saying, I don't have to shout it from the rooftops or establish myself in position. Just look, listen, hear, see what's happening. The authority of God was so clear in those miraculous moments. They validated the claims and they revealed his power that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Christmas and every day, on and on and on forever. Third, uh, the evidence we see is Jesus is um, the way he endured temptation makes him a mighty God. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way like we were, but never sinned. That takes strength. That takes great strength. His strength was so much greater than ours. When we give in, he remains strong. When we crumble so easily, he stood firm. He felt the temptation. It wasn't like he didn't like chocolate, so it wasn't a big deal, okay? He had all of the temptations that we have, all of the things that pull us, but yet he had the strength to stand and never, ever waver from that. Fourth, we see his power in the events of his death. Jesus endured the ridicule, the excruciating pain, the betrayal of friends. And he never said, God, I quit. This isn't worth it. Or I can't do this. He, he never bails out of God's plan. Even more staggering, he endured the penalty of our sin. Only a mighty God could bear that amount of darkness and still come out in victory. That he bore the penalty for all of our sins and all of the world's sins. That he had that moment where he just completely endured that. That is a mighty God. And when Jesus died, the temple curtain tore in half and an earthquake shook the ground. And darkness was in the middle of the day. And the physical earth was responding to the death of a mighty God. The physical earth had to respond to someone who had created everything that existed. Lastly, we see Jesus' power and authority in his resurrection. You know, of all the religions in the world, only one boasts a risen Savior. 
Only one has a Savior who continues to lead us. All the others are merely dead men and women who made great claims that we're trying to follow. But Jesus alone backed up his claims. And so this Christmas, we are celebrating not just a baby in a manger, but a God who has evidenced himself over and over and over as the mighty God. He has proven it to be true. He, he has shown us that this, he is who he says he is and that he has walked out the might and we have seen it over and over in the scripture and there's so much more. I just had to pick a few things to show you today. And if he is the mighty God, then this means he is able to do what he has promised. He is able to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. He is able to do what he's promised. You know, Luke 137 might be my favorite Christmas verse ever, and it says it best when it declares boldly, for with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, no thing will be impossible. Say that to the person next to you. Say nothing. I feel like I need to wake you guys up this morning. Nothing. <laughs> it's interesting how Jesus never wastes anything. All right, Jesus never wastes a reason to do anything. And so the account of Jesus from the very start reminds us that no thing is impossible with God, that he is able to do what he promised. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a nothing town. Nazareth is mentioned here in Luke. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apophrica. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. In fact, um, when we went to Nazareth on our Israel trip, the bus driver was like, look out the right window. You missed it. I mean, like it was just, even now, it was just so quick. There, there wasn't much that was there. It's not mentioned in the ancient historian Josephus's record because no one important came from or to Nazareth. It was nothing. It, there was nothing to do there. There was no reason to go there. In Jesus' day, it wasn't a town of hundreds. It was probably a town of dozens, maybe a hundred people. Simple rural town. And it was between two cities. So it was the kind of town that people ventured through. They didn't stay. They just, they just went through. A gas station with some stale coffee. That's all they had. There's, there's nothing there. Because who would even go there? Why would you go to Nazareth? There's nothing there. Who would even go there? I'll tell you who. God. God would go there. From the very beginning, Christ is declaring nothing, nothing, nowhere is impossible for God. That I am mighty God. I need no help to accomplish anything. I don't need to be from some uh, well-known town. I don't need to be from some place that makes me popular or makes me famous already. I can come from nothing, from nowhere, and I can do incredible things because I am mighty God. This Christmas, I believe that Emmanuel, God with us, enters into this part of our life. The part of our life that we would give ourselves an F in. We, we would score an F if we rated ourselves. The, the town of your heart that is Nazareth, the, the part that is messy and dark and the part that you can't make sense of and the part that you don't want to talk about, especially during Christmas, because that will, that will ruin the, the feeling. 
And we think, who would even want to go there? Who would even want to deal with that part of my heart? Who would even want to deal with that, that pain that I've been dealing with for a long time or that darkness and that sin that I've been struggling with that no one knows about? Who would even want to go there? And God says, I will go because nothing is impossible for me. No thing is impossible for me. God says, out of barrenness, I grow good things. Out of confusion, I bring clarity. Out of difficulty, I soothe with love. Out of the dark and hurtful Christmas memories, I birth new hope. God is repositioning you. Why do you think Jesus Christ came into this world through a pregnant, unwed teenage girl from a nothing town? Why did he choose to do that? It wasn't just random. Nothing God does is random. God didn't have to do it that way, but I believe it was his way of saying, I don't do things the way the world expects. I, I don't do things the way the world expects. I do it in the opposite way because my power is made perfect in weakness. And he starts there. He starts with, with Nazareth, and he continues this pattern through his entire lifetime. Jesus isn't born into a royal place, but he's born into a, a feed trough. He, he's born to not powerful and, and not famous people because this was his part of his plan. This was part of his pattern, is that Jesus would win salvation through weakness and suffering and death on the cross, that he would achieve power and influence through sacrifice. That was, that was his whole message from the very beginning. And I don't want you to miss it. If you have Jesus in your life, I believe your life will look a lot like trading riches and wealth for stale coffee and old gas stations. <laughs> that it's going to be humble and sacrificing and imperfect. You're going to have to go to places that, that aren't pristine and put together. And you're going to have to deal with people that are hurting and and you're going to have to cross those boundaries of, of comfort because this is what Christ is saying, that the message of Christmas is it doesn't matter where you've been and it doesn't matter where you came from. That the promise of the gospel is that the sacrifice of Jesus is powerful enough to pay for your sin. And that the mighty God who came to earth as a baby can be your savior and he is the one who can give you a new beginning and an assurance of heaven. And what he asks of you is that you trust him. He asks you to put your confidence in him and to trust his power. And as we approach another Christmas, I just, I really can't help but ask, have you done that? Have you placed your confidence in Christ's work rather than your own? Have you bowed before the manger and received the salvation that comes from the hands of Jesus? And if you haven't, I am praying that you wouldn't wait any longer, that even in this moment, that you would just receive new life right now, that you would just even quietly, just inside, inside your mind, just say, yes, God, I want that. I want this Christmas to look different than any other Christmas because I'm gonna trust that the savior of the world, the one born in a, in, in a manger in Bethlehem is the one who is the mighty God and is the one who can take my sin and bear my shame and bridge me to eternal life. We may feel helpless, but our Lord is able to help. And the one who healed the lepers and raised the dead is the Lord who has offered you salvation, offered me salvation. And the Lord who created and sustained all there is, is the same God who calls us his children. 
And so it's my hope today that you realize that the seemingly helpless little baby in the manger, that one right there, was really the mighty God. That those tiny hands were the same hands that put the stars in place. That, that um, the Jewish carpenter who, who, as he grew up, he made tables and door frames. And, and in fact, I learned when I was Israel, uh, he, did, he was a mason. Joseph was a mason, so he did stonework with Jesus. And they, and they did all of these things. That, that that same one who fashioned the world made human beings. Those same hands, he became the cornerstone. The one that we can stand on forever. The holy God of justice who must punish sin was the very one who allowed himself to be nailed to the cross so that he might satisfy those very demands of justice. He created the standard of justice and then he took the sacrifice so that we could meet it. The Christmas story isn't just a great story about a baby born in extraordinary circumstances. The Christmas story is about the mighty God who took the form of man all so that he could just tell us that he loves us in a way that we would understand. And so today I just want to leave you with this question. This Christmas, I want you to really think about this when you leave and maybe even talk about it together this week and answer it. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is Jesus? Because how you answer that question is the difference between a life-changing celebration of Christ's birth and and merely another traditional holiday this year. Would you stand? Let me pray for you. God, I come before you this morning and we declare that you are unequal. God, that there is no name above your name, Father, that you alone are just have all the power, Father God, that you are mighty. You are the mighty, mighty God. And I thank you, Lord, that through your story of everything that your son did while he was here on earth, God, you have shown us the evidence of how mighty of a God you are. And I pray today that our minds and our hearts would be receptive to understanding, Lord, the the power and the might of who you are, God. I thank you, Father, that before the beginning of time, you had a plan to redeem us. And Lord, this Christmas, I pray that we could change our thinking so it's not just another traditional holiday, but that we could celebrate the life-changingness of your son. God, that we could look at every manger scene that we look at differently and really understand who Jesus is and what you sent him to do. God, thank you that your name is unequal. Thank you for choosing us, and thank you, Lord, that we can stand here and celebrate Christmas loudly and, and, and expressively knowing what it represents. God, we love you. I thank you so much for these people in this church. And Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.